0: Everyone, welcome back to another edition to the Point Podcast. Everybody's doing well on this holiday Monday. Uh, it's been a minute uh, since we spoke, but I'm enjoying my time here on the long weekend. But uh, keeping up on the world of sports, really the the Olympics has as gripped me. I I am a fan of it, but it takes me a while to kind of get into you know the swing of things. The schedule it makes it difficult, but. Really, uh, over the past couple of days, when you got DeGrasse running yesterday morning, you had the women uh, women's soccer team this morning. It really, it, it captivated me. And it, it was really, really interesting. Um, unfortunately for DeGrasse, Andre DeGrasse, he came up short uh, with the bronze medal. Um, even though, he, and I'll give him credit, he did run his personal best yesterday. So I, you can't do better than your best. That's the best he's ever done. He loses to an Italian uh, into an American. But um, really what cost him that race was his qualifying time. Uh, he ended up in the ninth lane, which is the toughest, and he had to make up too much time. And unfortunately for him, he just kind of ran out of it. So um, kind of tough luck there for Andre de But um, I, this morning really was one of the best moments so far of the Olympics for me. Obviously, Penny Alexiak has been the story. She's now tied as the most decorated Olympian um, in Canadian history, male or female. And, you know, I could go into semantics about how many gold medals she's won and everything like that, but I won't because it's a good story. And I don't want to kill everybody's mood here on a Monday. But this morning was the antithesis of what Canadians love, and that is us beating the americans if if there's a bigger rival than the united states to canada in any sport i really want to pick your brain because i don't get where you're coming from russia is not the biggest rival name it it doesn't matter to me the united states is who i want to beat at every event and not just beat them by a little beat them by a lot because i don't like them uh you know i know american people it's not like that it's just pride i want to kick their ass every time we we go up against them. And this morning, it really was the true underdog story. The us as Canadians, we were average Joe's gym. The United States for the longest time have been, you know, the global gym, Purple Cobras, if, you will, if you're familiar with the movie Dodgeball, where we've gotten really close to beating the Americans. Um, in 2012 goes an extra time. They beat us narrowly. And it was a crushing loss where Christine Sinclair had a great game. But ultimately, we came up short. We bring home a bronze medal. 2016 in Rio. We play them again. And we lose in the semifinal. We come home with a bronze medal. But it was different today. Today, we defeated the Americans. That It was such a great moment where our women just brought it. We score Fleming scores in the 75th minute. We hang on to win the game one mil. We are on to the gold medal game. We are playing for gold against Team Sweden on Thursday night. And I, I mean, I couldn't be more jacked up for this. This is what you play for. We have a guarantee of winning a medal, which for everybody out there, that's a great, another great story. We're guaranteed silver. So for my mother and the people who count other medals, that's fantastic. But if our women's soccer team could bring home a gold medal while defeating the United States along the way, while defeating Sweden, who beat the United States in the preliminary round to get there, this would be one of the most iconic moments in Olympic history. Soccer is not exactly what you think of when you think of Canada. We would be on a world stage and win a gold medal in a sport where us Canadians, we're we're better at the winter Olympics. That's just a fact. Our climate, our athletes, we got hockey in there. We're just we're better set up to succeed, to win gold medals. In the pool, we've we've gotten better with the likes of Penny Alexiak and you know different athletes who have helped us, you know, advance in that lane, so to speak. But to win at soccer, where our men's program has been a joke. For decades, our women's team has always been very good. We've never been the United States. We haven't been Brazil. But to beat a Brazilian team, to beat the United States and then beat Sweden in the final and be recognized on the world stage for being the best, that's a new height. That I didn't thought I didn't think we could ever achieve as Canadians in soccer in that particular sport. And for Christine Sinclair, who just may be the greatest female soccer player ever, to cap off her career by getting a gold medal at age 38 at yet another Olympics, it's the pièce de resistance, it's the cherry on top to an already beautifully decorated career. And this would just do a whole lot for Canada. We're seeing soccer players from Canada in the men's game, you know, play for Manchester United, play for Paris uh, Saint-Germain, go over to Europe where football over there is the sport. You know, we can talk, I love American football. I believe it's the best sport in the world and I don't even think it's that close. But in Europe, if you look at worldwide popularity, soccer is the most popular sport and it's not close. For us to even get on that platform to be recognized is a major achievement. And we still have to win the game. With all that being said, silver would be Nice. Sure. To me, no, it's worthless, but it'd be nice for some people, soccer moms and my mother. Uh, but to win gold, it sets a precedent and we, we need to cap it off because so everything I just said is erased because if we lose in the gold medal game, then we're just Canada being Canada. Sounds harsh. But I believe that will be the narrative. And I think it's fair. Canada, oh, they're a good little team. They're a good soccer team. But man, we don't really take them seriously. We let them get to a final. But, you know, they got there. Good. They could bring home silver. But Megan Rapino, the captain for Team USA, said, I don't think I've ever lost to Canada in my career. It's still that disrespect. But if we win that gold medal, We can tell everyone collectively to shove it because we did it. And Thursday night, I think the game starts at 11 o'clock. I'm watching it. Yeah, I work on Friday. I don't care. I'm staying up and I'm watching that game. I'm PVRing it. I got to see it because it will be history in the making to see this group of women succeed like Few other have. Our women's hockey team winning gold, that's what we expect. Losing to the United States, getting silver in a world hockey championship, which kicks off in less than a month, is not a successful tournament. Maybe I'm wrong. I had a conversation with my sister about that, but I think that's our, to me, that's the precedent we set. Whenever there's a Canadian hockey team, men or women, not bringing home a gold medal is a loss. That may sound unfair. But that's just the way it is. And I truly, I humbly believe that. And I think that pressure is fair because guess what? We're Canadian and we're the best at hockey. So we should win. When the, when the men lost the World Juniors last year, where everybody thought, oh, they're just going to run roughshod over the States and we lost, that was a failure of a tournament. Yes, it doesn't change that. The kids play great and it's a good story, but brass tacks, that's a loss. That's a failure of a tournament. And I believe it'll be the same narrative. It it can change in an instant. We aren't the joke. We aren't just the good little, you know, the little engine that could anymore. We are the alpha. We can put ourselves in that conversation to say, we're here every year. And you know what? We're not just going to settle for bronze and then cheer about it. And, oh, well, we won the bronze medal this year. Woo! We won gold. And we can kick anybody's ass on the way to that gold medal. And I want to see it. I really hope Christine Sinclair, Jessica Fleming, and the women can cap it off. I'm not a hypocrite. I'm not the biggest soccer fan in the world, but I get invested in this because I know what it means to this country, what magnitude it can have. Andre de had the opportunity to be Donovan Bailey. Donovan Bailey was the fastest man in the world. He won the 100 meter. For a period of time, nobody was better than Donovan Bailey on the track DeGrasse unfortunately fell short he came in third hey he came over with a medal but there's a difference between being the third fastest or being the third best team in the world and being the best we can hold that mantle for three years until the next olympics next summer olympics where our women are the cream of the crop we are the best. And you know what? If you want to knock us off the top of the mantle, bring it. And that's the opportunity that they have Thursday night. So um, I encourage everybody to watch that game because I think it could be, it's got you know a 50-50 chance of being history in the making for, the, for this country. Silver would be great. Not good enough. Um, last night it was announced, you know, Simone Biles announced that she'll be competing in the freestyle, uh, event tomorrow, uh, which will, or that might be tonight guys Tuesday in Tokyo. So it's always like a day ahead, um, here, but she will be competing in it. She has pulled out of three other events, uh, prior to this one, but she'll be competing and looking for a gold medal to cap off her Olympic career. She's 24. You don't see a lot of 24 year old, uh, gymnasts. Uh, so obviously it was just, Crazy for her to be doing this. But I talked last week about mental health and how I thought she shouldn't compete at this Olympics because obviously I don't question her battling mental health problems. If anybody does, I really think you're making a mountain out of a molehill and you're trying to make, you're trying to put her down and she doesn't deserve that. So I have no problem with her pulling out of the event. However, I do have a problem with her not competing with her competing t- tonight or t- tomorrow. again, it's the clock gets me all screwed up here, but you, you say you're dealing with mental health issues and I'm not questioning that. I believe that you know, wholeheartedly, but how can you just flip the switch? It's been less than a week. And again, I'm not an expert in the field, but I I find it hard to believe that it's, you're in the same Olympics. You haven't left. You're still in the Olympic village. You're still in that same environment. And now you're fine to compete. You know, Naomi Osaka, I talked about her last week. She missed multiple majors. She missed out on prize money. She's, she really, she's showing that this was a big deal for her. It's not just a joke and people on Fox news can criticize or whatever. But she's backing what she believes. She's dealing with mental health. She's doing what she believes is best for her mental health. So how can we question that? But looking at this situation, I look at Simone Biles and say, well, I have empathy, of course, for what you're dealing with. But why? how can you just compete now? I don't see that the balance between the two just don't align for me. I to pull out of three events and then there's team events and laundry list of of things in, in gymnastics, like swimming, because I think there's too many events or both, but that's a whole other issue. What like figure skating, uh, why, how can you just compete now? And I really think she should do a presser and we, she owes us that answer because, we can have empathy and I will be on her side. I'll a hundred percent because mental health is real in the past. And this is not an older generation's fault. It just wasn't discussed. It wasn't as accepting as it is now. And, you know, I'm sure the older generation say, well, we just battled through art. We didn't talk about art issues. Well, good for you. Um, no, you're tougher than us, I guess. Us, uh, Gen Zers and millennials and everybody else. But it, I think she owes us that interview. She owes us that answer because if I, if I had her on this, on the podcast, that's my first question. I would introduce her, uh, you know, pleasantries, and then I'm getting to it, to the point. Why, how can you compete after saying you're dealing with some health issues a week later? What happened that you're all of a sudden in a mental state where you're physically able to do this? Because having a mental health issue, having a block, not only can that affect you with mental health, but physically, what if you're not all the way there? This is gymnastics. This is dangerous shit. You can really, really hurt yourself. You need to be mentally at 100 to do this. Or you can really hurt yourself. And I, I just I, I look at the situation and think ah, we're missing something here. And I think as a as an audience, as journalists, and as just spectators of the sport, we deserve an answer as to why she can't compete last week, but now less than a week later, she can. And doubt I want to know. So I hope when she does an interview that the journalist has the courage to ask that question because it is a tough question. It, it sounds like you're you're questioning her her motives, her her competing, and a, an American journalist probably won't ask that question. I doubt it. Maybe if she maybe she loses the gold medal, then they might. I think if she wins the gold medal, that won't be asked. But if you're the BBC or somebody else maybe get that question in there I think it's a good one to ask but Simone Biles will compete we got the women's Olympic soccer team with the 200 meters so track and field will still be ongoing um, Xander shoffley won the gold medal of uh, at the uh, men's golf tournament for the Olympics um, I would talked about this yesterday with a few friends he's never won a major yet uh, he's I think one of the best golfers in the world, he's finished top five, four different times, uh, but hasn't been able to break through. So he's had a couple of real heartbreakers at majors, including two at Augusta national, but maybe this helps him propel his game and he can get back and he's too good to not win a major over the course of his career. He doesn't bomb it, but he's got a great shot, great approach, really smart golfer and we see him here. He makes two clutch putts on 16 and 17 to keep the pressure away. Rory Sabatini made, made a late push uh, on Sunday. He he played very well, shooting five under par. He ends up with the silver medal. CT Pan w- wins the bronze after a seven-man playoff with the likes of Rory McIlroy. I think for Shoffley, you know, obviously the Americans get another gold medal. So, ugh, But I-, I do like him, so it's tough not to root for the guy but maybe this is a turning point for him where he wins a big event. He is clutched down the stretch and maybe next time he's in the lead at a major, he won't feel as worried about the situation. He held on here. He didn't choke. And hopefully that bodes well for him. Cause I think he's, like I said, he's too good of a golfer. There's so many great ones right now. You know, we've just seen Colin Morikawa win two majors in a calendar year. You know, Rory's still there. Spieth is starting to play better. Justin Thomas, I mean, he he's going to win another major. He's too good not to. Had a really rough 2021, but I think he can he can win a major or two before his career is over. And there's a lot of young guys. Victor Hovland, if Matt Wolf can figure out his game, I think that could, he's got all the trappings of a major champion. So it's not going to be easy by any means, but I think Shoffley is right there On the precipice of being a major champion and we'll just see if he can put it all together um and maybe this olympic um, experience will help him in the majors at augusta at the pga you know the, the other two um come out and be victorious this weekend really it was about in other than the olympics it was about major league baseball you know hockey we had a few signings which i'll touch on today but Friday, it was the Major League Baseball trade deadline. And it was one of the busiest in recent memory. But, you know, baseball sucks at marketing. Uh, they, really don't, they really don't seem to want to improve their game. They don't want to make it faster, which you know, that's, prerog- that's their prerogative. But I think they're very bad at selling their product. For years, Major League Baseball did not have a set date for a trade deadline meaning trades could just come in willy nilly, you know, the set uh, they never said it was like late August. It wasn't trade deadline day, but you had to put players through waivers and you could trade a guy like Justin Verlander was acquired by the Houston Astros on August like, 30th. So he spent the last month in Houston to go on to win the World Series in 2017. But having a set trade deadline, hockey has it, basketball has it. Not only is it good because your media markets can have trade deadline days. They can cover it, but it provides intrigue. It's on the calendar. You know, you can talk about all your, well, trade deadline is July 30th. And you can set and be ready for it as a fan. And as teams, you know where you stand. And this year it really delivered for them because, you know, it was really a start from the teams that offloaded. You look at the Chicago Cubs and the Washington Nationals. Chicago Cubs won. World Series in 2016, that was their first World Series in 108 years. And you have the Washington Nationals in 2019 winning the World Series. They had never won a World Series in their franchise history. And both teams decided to part with very, you know, crucial members of the team that won them that World Series. Um, and it's, it's about really looking at, looking at this group The Chicago Cubs, they lose Anthony Rizzo. They lose Javi Baez, a.k.a. Almago. They lose, uh, you know, John Lester was already gone. But, you know, they lose Chris Bryant, who won World Series MVP. Three of their pillars of their team, really the three, you know, the figureheads to them winning a World Series have departed the organization. Anthony Rizzo was traded first. On Thursday night, he was flipped to the New York Yankees. Um, really a strong ad for the, for the Yankees. I'll touch on it's kind of crazy that they're doing this now, but they get Anthony Rizzo, Luke Voigt's been injured all year at first base. So they get Rizzo to play first base. He can also play DH, but he's a guy who can lead off. He's been leading off for a long time in Chicago. He does take a lot of walks and, and he's just, he's got a really good approach at the plate. He's, he's a strong, he's got a really strong, um, you know, vision at the plate, and I, I like the way that, that he plays, but um, it improves their position for sure. Um, you look at Javi Baez, El Mago, one of the best shortstops in the game. Uh, the way he tracks down the ball, the throws he can make on the run, and just his his demeanor. You know, we see him Monday night uh, playing against the Cincinnati Reds, and he hits, you know, a walk-off double off Amir Garrett, and Garrett and him have gotten into tilts before and and he just struts down the first baseline. He's got a lot to say to him and it, he's just got personality, but he goes to the New York Mets where the Mets are first in national league East. They're getting, uh, the Braves hoping to track them down. Nationals really put themselves out of it. Uh, so you got the Braves potentially the Phillies who did add as well, but the Mets haven't been this good since 2016 where they lost to the Cubs um in the National League uh championship series so the Met, the Mets uh, uh, add Javi Baez he is you know he, he they got Francisco Lindor they signed they traded for him signed him to a long term deal they got Pete Alonso at first they got Conforto they have obviously Jacob deGrom who's the best pitcher in the world um he's out till September but they still have him they got Marcus Stroman who's having a really good season the former Blue Jay so in their division, you got to look at it and say, well, we're going to win this division. We're going to make the playoffs. We might as well put ourselves in a position to have success. And Baez with Lindor, both of them are very great fielders. Um, you know, Lindor has struggled with the bat a bit, but I, I like the two together. I think they'll be very dynamic and should be a lot of fun to watch uh, with those two on the field together. Rich Hill was also added from the Tampa Bay Rays at the deadline. So they do get a veteran pitcher who. I could see them moving him to the bullpen come playoff time where he can be a guy who can throw two, three innings uh, on a day where a starter is not completely dialed in. So good add for the Mets. Again, that the Cubs continue to, to eliminate from their roster. And then there's San Francisco uh, adding Chris Bryant, the third baseman from the Cubs. And San Fran didn't do much in the pitching market. They've had some really good stories this year. Um, in Anthony Discofani. And Kevin Gosman, who's had a you know, just such a career turnaround, uh, and and it, it's been a it's been an incredible year, and they they've really they've really surpassed every expectation. They are three games up on the Dodgers at this point, and nobody had them making the playoffs. They still have Brandon Crawford. They still have Brandon Belt. They still have Buster Posey from their World Series teams. And it's just been incredible to watch what they've been able to do, and I love their the mold of that team. You know, they got a great manager and Gabe Kapler, who was fired in Philly really for no reason, and they've kind of had that chip on their shoulder, being a team that has been through through wars, through tough times. Madison Bumgarner's gone, Johnny Cueto's gone, the Big Panda has departed the organization but they still continue to battle. They still continue to have the chip on their shoulder. And Bryant's a guy that, you know, people said he has been traded for Chicago for years. He's been on the trade market forever. And he just continued to play like a pro, which is what he is. And for the, for the giants, they, they had kind of a hole at third base. And I think he adds to their roster. You know, be, they took two or three from the Houston Astros this weekend, who are no slouch leaders in the NL West, one of the favorites in the American league. and, they just continue to, to battle. Um, it's really impressive to me what, what they did, but the Cubs offload from the roster. And not only that, they trade away their closer, one of the best in the game in Craig Kimbrell. And they get a ton of prospects. I'm not going to go into all the prospects because all these guys are just, they're not going to be major league players right now. However, for the Cubs, you look at it and say, well, this is what they did. And this is what they did in 2012, 2013, where they added Rizzo. They added Baez. Uh, Chris Bryant was drafted. But you add players that are not brand name right now. But you go through it, you play them a few years, and then, then you make your push. You add veterans like the Mets are doing, like adding, uh, Chris Bryant does right now. You add the veterans when your team is ready. And the Cubs, they've been struggling for a long time. they were nine games back of the Milwaukee Brewers. And this is the model that won them a World Series. So I think this organization and the fan base can accept that. They they aren't winning right now. You add pieces that you hope can be the centerpiece of your World Series team moving forward. So the Cubs offload and really they deconstruct a team that won them the World Series after, like I said, 108 years of the longest drought in pro sports history. Um, That brings us to... The Washington Nationals, you know, they trade John Lester, who you know, he's been, only been there one year. He hasn't been exactly a great story. They trade Brad Hand, the closer to the Toronto Blue Jays. They desperately needed someone at the back end of the rotation. But the big, the big names that you know the Dodgers traded, which really one name didn't surprise me at all. One really did. Thursday it was reported that Max Scherzer, you know, the great longtime pitcher, three-time Cy Young winner, one of the best pitchers in the last. 30 to 40 years was going to be traded to the San Diego Padres. And I said, well, this, this is huge. San Diego, San Diego has been a team that's really been, uh, had their pedal to the metal, so to speak, over the last couple of years. They acquired you Darvish. They uh, signed Manny Machado. They traded for Adam Frazier, uh, most hits in major league baseball at the trade deadline. So they've been active, but getting Max Scherzer would really, you know, send a message to this team that we're all in here. We think we can win a world series this year, but the deal didn't go through. It couldn't be processed. They couldn't agree to terms and Scherzer stayed out there. We didn't know he wanted to go um, to the West coast and big surprise. He gets traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And you look at, you know, the rich just keep getting richer. I said to a friend, you know, the rich richer you know, becoming Jeff Bezos with the Dodgers getting Max Scherzer. Um, they have Clayton Kershaw, who also has won three Cy Youngs. So they have six Cy Youngs there. They have Walker Buehler, who I think, other than DeGrom, is the best pitcher in baseball. He's better than Kershaw right now. It's not even close. Um, he's 11-1 on the season with a sub-230 ERA. The guy has every pitch. He can blaze it by. He can throw off-speed. The guy is just – you started – you know, if they started a series tonight – Walker Buehler would be pitching game one, not Scherzer, not Kershaw, sorry, not um, not Scherzer. It would be Walker Buehler. And so you get Buehler, Kershaw, Scherzer. You still have David Price in that rotation. You got Julio Arias, who has 13 wins the most in baseball. And, and, you know, this is really a void to help, uh, you know, Trevor Bauer is unlikely to pitch again this year. He's dealing with a domestic uh disturbance slash assault case uh and it doesn't sound promising uh the guy they signed him to a big two-year deal um we know he's an outspoken guy i did not see this in his past i did not see this coming i didn't know this was the character of the guy but they really needed a replacement for him because the rotation hasn't been that great recently kershaw has been dealing with injuries and you know this team is world series or bust they're in that mold I give credit to the organization. There's no salary cap in baseball. So you can spend as much money as you'd like. And they did, you know, they spend a ton of money, uh, you know, trying to get better. And uh, they, they won last year. They got, they traded for Mookie Betts. They, they add, you know, significant pieces where they need them. And it got them over the top and looking, you know, not only do you get Max Scherzer, who, I, like I just said, is one of the best pitchers in the history of the game but you get Trey Turner, a gold glove winning shortstop who I don't, I don't get why the nationals traded him. They have team control over him for another two years, you know, arbitration eligible. And yeah, they get the number one and number two prospects in the Dodger system, but you have a proven commodity in Trey Turner. You can start to build your team around him, hoping that you still have Trey Turner there. That maybe some free agents, will want to come to Washington you can get better sooner rather than later and it's not a three you know four to five year project here and but he gets moved to the Dodgers and again this gives him flexibility right now and in the future so now you have Trey Turner you have Corey Seager you have Justin Turner sounding like a pretty good infield um you know Cody Bellinger has been playing first base but he's likely not going to play he's batting 163 in the season can't play anywhere in the infield he's been a disaster but you look at that that's a pretty damn good infield and then you know uh, yeah Mookie betson in, in right who's the best you know the best field one of the best fielders in baseball so this team is loaded completely and the way it looks right now we get two months of the season left and three teams out of the National League West that's Dodgers Padres and Giants they're likely all going to make the playoffs and really the biggest battle will be Who's going to finish first in the National League West, Giants or Dodgers? And I think it will be the Dodgers. Again, it's a three-game lead right now, but the Dodgers are just so loaded. And I don't see them losing many games down the stretch where I look at this team and say, who's going to beat them? You know, who's going to beat the Dodgers that many times? I think the Giants will hit more of a hiccup. See, win this weekend. They've been beating the Dodgers a lot head-to-head lately. But the pitching, you know, down the stretch, I think it's imperative for the Giants to win the division, because if it's Dodgers, Padres in a one-game playoff, I obviously favor the Dodgers. But it's a one-game. Who the hell knows? It's like the NFL. Anything can happen in those playoff games where it's just win or go home. And that's what's great about the wild card game is the Dodgers may be inferior. I mean, they're they're still a good team. You know, the Padres are sorry. The Padres are, are inferior, but. You know, they still have Fernando Tatis Jr. the third. If you, Darvis, pitches a gem, maybe you get out of it. You know, they acquire Jake Marisnik, they get Daniel Hudson out of their bullpen. Adam Frazier, you got Cronenworth, who's been great. Machado is having a great second half of the season. So there are bats that can do some damage, and it's one game. What do you throw? Uh, I don't think Bueller will have a crap game, but Bueller goes out there, he, something happens, they got to go to their bullpen earlier, then it could be a disaster. So for, for the Giants this season, it'll still be successful if you make it to the wild card game. But I, you know, get to the playoffs and this team still has championship mold. I mentioned Buster Posey. This guy is still as motivated as ever to win a World Series, another one, add to make it his fourth World Series. The same for Belt, the same for Crawford. They're in their last years of their contracts. And who knows with this Giants team, what a story it would be to, to look at it and say, you know, the Red Sox and the Giants, you know, to start of the weekend, were at the top of their divisions. That's a pretty incredible story, and we'll, we'll see where it goes. But the National League West was the most compelling division, the most compelling story in baseball prior to the trade deadline. It remains it after the trade deadline as well. Um, New York Yankees also acquired outfielder Joey Gallo um, from the Texas Rangers. He's, you know, a left-handed bat they need, they needed desperately. Uh, they've had Brett Gardner playing in left field forever. And, you know, Brett's a good Yankees, only play for the Yankees over his career, but it was getting very stale and he doesn't have a great arm. His bat isn't very good anymore. And although Gallo is another power bat, like Giancarlo Stanton, like Aaron Judge, the guy does have a better walk rate than the both of them. He, he draws a lot of walks. He does strike out a ton, but he will take walks. And he's a great outfielder. Um, I think he he's won gold gloves before in the field, and he's a, he's better than any outfielder they have. That includes Aaron Judge. He's his arm is better. He makes better reads, and he's playing left field at Yankee Stadium. It's not exactly a tough place. You know, you know when the ball is going out or not because you hit one two thirty to, to left at Yankee Stadium. It's like you know, doink the clown. You can hit anybody can hit a freaking dinger to left. So it's not exactly like you're playing, uh, you know, the green monster in Fenway. So I look at the Yankees and look at the Blue Jays, and I think they're different, but they're also similar. The Yankees are desperate. They get Rizzo, they get Gallo, and they're desperate because in New York, it's never okay to have a disappointing season. It's never okay to rebuild. You can't do it. And to start the weekend, the Yankees were third in the American League East behind boston behind the tampa Bay rays and they remain third but you know they want to make a push for a wild card spot they cannot miss the playoffs and i think it's very unrealistic to think well we can surpass tampa we can surpass boston but maybe we can make a push for a wild card maybe oakland stumbles down the stretch maybe the rays fall off something happens with the boston red sox pitching where we can make a move here but you know again that, that's a unlikely and i I think teams held on to their players for a long time, and that hurt certain teams. I look at the Yankees and the Blue Jays in particular here. The Yankees, I think, would have made moves earlier, but teams felt they were still in a position to win. Texas, no, they stink. But they might have wanted to hold on and get the best possible deal for Joey Gallo, and that was two days before the trade deadline. You know, Trading him a month ago, they probably don't get as good of a haul um Rizzo I think the Cubs were very reluctant to part with them they all went within a you know a two-day period of one another and again it's just nostalgia you want to sell tickets I think it'll be tougher to sell tickets down the stretch here with the Cubs team that is going to stink so obviously that that's a tougher sell but so for the Yankees I think it was out of desperation you look at the Blue Jays on the other hand they get Brad Hand uh for Riley uh Riley Adams who is a we see him he played a little bit at the major league level this year but he's basically a triple a catcher uh, catcher is not a position that the blue Jays have a position of strength with Danny Jansen uh, hit, swinging the bat. He's basically as good as me out there. Uh, they have Alejandro Kirk, who it's really undetermined if this guy can be an everyday catcher in the major leagues yet. Um, they got, uh, uh, no, what's his name? he got caught with his pants down there last year, but they got another catcher that they like, but uh, you know, he's, I can't even remember his name, so it can't be that damn good. Uh, so it's not exactly a position of strength for the Blue Jays. They get Joakim Soria at the deadline. He's another veteran relief arm. They need bullpen help all year, so that should help them. But their big addition was Jose Bareaos from the Minnesota Twins. And they part, you know, <laughs> Simeon Woods Richardson, who's a 20-year-old pitcher who looks like he's going to be – He's a good prospect. Again, he's a, he's a prospect. He's not a major league player yet. This team wants to be competitive. And they also part with Austin Martin who played at Vanderbilt, uh, went, was drafted fifth overall by the Blue Jays last year. And he was really one of the most highly touted prospects in the organization. So it was not cheap, but Breos has a, uh, you know, a 3.30 era. He's been a really consistent pitcher. I, I wouldn't call him an ace, He's a great complimentary star and he's been a great pitcher uh, in his own right throughout his career for the Minnesota twins. So he's a guy that, that can fit into your everyday rotation. He's not, he's better than Ross Stripling. I would, you know, him and Robbie Ray are similar, not in their pitching style, but I think when it comes to their effectiveness, Ray has been, you know, the Blue Jays best pitcher this year by a quarter, by, by a long, by a long shot. So he, he improves their pitching depth. You know, you don't got to go to guys that you really don't trust. Barrios, is a guy that can pitch every fifth day that you can have confidence in. So that's an upgrade. That's something that they can, they can sell, but it is, it is a major haul, but I think for the blue Jays, they have them under team control for next year. So what they're saying really for me, the blue Jays is we want to be competitive down the stretch. Maybe we can make, make a push for the wild card. Uh, We got Vladimir Guerrero jr. George Springer starting to swing the bat. uh, Well, um, You know, we got Bobichet. We have our our position players are basically set. You know, they don't have a like I said, they don't have a catcher that you really trust. They don't really have a third baseman. They have Santiago Espinal has been playing there lately because Kevin Bicho has really just been a disaster. He doesn't have a position. Uh, you you got Grichik who can play in the field or play designated hitter. So you have you have strengths, but I think this sets them up well for next season. It gives you another arm that you can say next year we can start with Ryu. We can start with Barrios. They got to try to resign Robbie Ray. So you have three starters that you like, and then you add another one. You add at least one, potentially two. You uh, know, Alec Manoa looks like a stud. I think he should, he'll be in their rotation next year. So if you substitute Ross Stripling, you add a guy that again is not a Ross Stripling type, not a reclamation project, a guy of value, a guy of substance. You know, Max Scherzer would be nice. Uh, I doubt he'll come to Toronto. But somebody that is not, well, I think this guy can be good. Well, I think we can turn him around. That's been the Blue Jays' MO for years. That's not what they need to do here. They need to add a guy of value. Obviously, the bullpen will be another story. I still think that needs to improve a ton. They're going to have a lot of turnover there. But it gives them another set position. And down the stretch, you add. You know, you get Hand. You get Soria. You get Jose Barrios. So you you've added to your team. You've shown them. That, you know what, we're not dead on this year yet either. It does two good things. Tells your your clubhouse that, you know what, we're going to try to make the playoffs this year. That's our goal. But next year, you know, we're going to be aggressive. We're a team that we think we're, we're on the precipice of winning here, being a, a winning organization in like 2015, like 2016. And this just puts them closer to that ultimate goal. So I, I like the ad. I do think they paid a heavy price. And it's really too early to say if it paid off. If Barrios pitches this year and they miss the playoffs, okay, that's okay. But next year, Barrios pitches, you know, well, but the Blue Jays miss the playoffs again and he walks. And then you see Austin Martin become, you know, a, an all star level player at third base for the Minnesota Twins. That's a disaster. It, it really is because you had, he was drafted fifth overall. This guy wasn't, you know, baseball drafts don't get the pub that hockey or the NFL do really hockey's behind the NBA and the NFL, but it, but it's still, you can draft really good players. Like Bryce Harper went second overall, pretty good pick. Like you can draft. I've heard, I've had arguments with friends before saying, well, baseball drafts, it doesn't really matter. Cause it doesn't matter who you take in the first round. Well, yes, it does. Because you can get diamonds in the rough. You can get Bryce Hart. You can get, it's not even diamonds. You can get good players. Mike Trout went high. Bryce Harper went high i'm not saying austin martin's gonna be a stud but he was drafted fifth overall for a reason he's not a scrub so we'll wait and see what happens there but i do like the move for the blue jays you want to improve as of right now you look at them they sit four and a half back of the uh oakland athletics three not uh, sorry three and a half back of the oakland athletics for the final wild wildcard spot so they're in it and they've won four in a row. They beat Boston uh, Thursday night. Then they sweep the Kansas city Royals. Now sweeping Kansas city. I'm not going to, you know, put that too high in the threshold. Kansas city stinks. Now, let's just be honest. Uh, but a win's a win. You can only beat it on your schedule. And they have one of the easiest remaining schedules in baseball. Now this week, they got four against the Cleveland Indians. Then they play Boston next weekend. So that's tough, but you got the angels Mariners. So you have opponents that you can win. You know, you can beat here. You need to take advantage of this week, uh, part of your schedule, and that's how you're gonna make the playoffs. Play. They're gonna have to have a 600 winning percentage down the stretch to make the playoffs, and because you got the Yankees who are two and a half back, so they're ahead of them. Seattle's tied tied with them at three and a half, so they're it's it's a tight race right now to see if they'll make it. Uh, over the weekend, you know, in a crazy development, the Tampa Bay Rays you know, sweep the Boston Red Sox and and the Rays, this is when they start to play great. You know, the Rays are still such a good team. You know, they they made the world series last year. They have players that you don't even know, you know, Tyler glass now is going to need Tommy John surgery, but they still continue to win. And that's the the crazy thing about them is that they just find ways to win. And you look now, Buje sit eight back of Tampa Bay. So it's unlikely you're not catching them. Chicago are nine up on Cleveland. That's done. Houston's four and a half up on the Oakland Athletics. So that a lot of these division races are dead. You know, the one you can look at: the Mets have a three and a half lead, three and a half game lead on Philly, four on Atlanta. That's not a close, open and shut case yet. Milwaukee seven on Cincinnati. That's done. So San Francisco, Los Angeles. So really, two divisions are really up for grabs, unless the Rays just completely, you know, teeter and fall off, which I don't think will happen. They got that mold. Uh, being a team that's going to make the playoffs be a factor. So we'll see. Uh, Blue Jays will play the Indians in just under 40 minutes. Uh, it's, you know, holiday here in Canada. So we'll see the two play a little uh, afternoon game where um, for the Blue Jays, it will be Robbie Ray. He's nine and five in the year against Eli Morgan, who has struggled this year for the Indians. So Blue Jays uh, afternoon matinee for us Canadians. And Really a great trade deadline, something that the major league baseball should be happy about. They should continue to have a set date. I don't know why it took so damn long for this to happen, but you know, they've done it. It's it's set. And I think baseball is set for a good couple months here. Obviously, the NFL is back, but the NFL never really goes away. You know, the NFL is a constant theme. But you know, that that's something that it's it's preseason. It's not everybody's invested. I um Thursday night, uh, it's Cowboys-Steelers in the Hall of Fame game preseason, of course. And then we got CFL. Um, first game in 20 months between the Hamilton, Tiger Cats, and Winnipeg Blue Bombers, A rematch of the 2019 Grey Cup. I um, you know, The computer and TV will be going that night. I also got women's soccer that night, too. Gee, I forgot about that. Um, so it's going to be a night that but I, I'm excited for the NFL preseason. I don't, I never watch preseason sports. I'm going to watch NFL this year because I'm jacked up. I want to see Jordan Love play. I'd like to see uh, what Davis Mills has in Houston, what he looks like as a rookie quarterback. Um, does Christian McCaffrey get some reps after being injured last year? It's just so many good storylines. And, you know, I was going to pivot to the NBA, but quickly today there was news. Carson Wentz of the Indianapolis Colts. He was injured last week. Just said he was going to be sitting out you know, week to week. But it's announced he's going to have surgery on a broken foot. And he is out five to 12 weeks. Meaning that more than likely, unless something changes dramatically, Carson Wentz is going to miss the start of the season for, Indian- for the Indianapolis Colts. If you remember, he was traded from Philly to Indianapolis in the offseason. He was reunited with former offensive coordinator, Frank Reich, who uh, was there when he was going to win his MVP and ultimately where Philly won the Super Bowl. So now you look at it and on the roster currently, you have, you know, uh, Jacob Eason, who, uh, you know, very limited reps in the NFL. A guy who was with the Chargers originally, now he's with the Colts. He's a backup quarterback at best. You get Sam uh, Ellinger, sorry. He was the quarterback at Texas the last four seasons. Um, a fifth round pick this past year in the draft. So no NFL experience hasn't taken a snap. I'm sure we'll see, we'll see him in the preseason. But it wouldn't surprise me if he doesn't make an NFL roster. I didn't. I never thought he was that good of a quarterback in college. Texas never had any success with him at the helm. And they're playing in the Big 12, not like they're playing the SEC, which they might be doing soon. So he's un, you know, unproven. Then you have Brett Hundley, who was a backup quarterback. They just signed. He was backup quarterback to Aaron Rodgers for a while. He was a backup quarterback to uh, Russell Wilson in Seattle. So they have three quarterbacks on the roster right now that have l- no NFL experience. And you know, I, I read today, well, maybe they need to make a push for you know a, a great backup. But really the best backup quarterback in the NFL or one of the best is Marcus Mariota. Uh, He was a quarterback at Tennessee, former second overall pick out of Oregon, Uh, but he's the backup to Derek Carr in Oakland. And if I'm Oakland, I'm not parting with Marcus Mariota. You know, you you only have one quarterback, when there's an injury, you want to have somebody that you feel comfortable with. Mariota had two starts last year. where he played really good football in Derek Carr's absence. So having a security blanket is so important. And there's so many teams that don't have that. And, Clearly the Colts are one of them, but unless the Raiders get a haul or, you know, they get a high draft pick or the Colts feel desperate enough because, you know, five to 12 weeks is a very, that's a long timeline. You know, if it's five weeks, that puts them around the start of the NFL season. Obviously you'd have no reps, very little practice reps, no preseason reps. So I doubt he'd be ready week one, but that, you know, week two or three, can you survive with Jacob Eason and, or a, a Brett Hundley, at quarterback, you know, maybe. But if it's 12 weeks, that's two months. That means you're missing the entire month of September, potentially in October. That's four to five games where if your record is crap and you have a quarterback who doesn't have a lot of reps with this is his first year with a new team, you're so behind the eight ball. You're in a weak division. That's the only thing you can really say. But Tennessee yeah. will be in full force. Tannehill, you got Julio Jones down there. Derrick Henry running rough shot. I find it very hard to believe that the Colts would be able to rally no, you know, not even potentially win the division, but just make the playoffs as a wildcard team, I think the, uh, you know, it's long odds for that to happen. So they're going to have to figure something out here. Do they go with Eason and hope that he can string it together? Can they lure a veteran out of retirement? I doubt it. We saw that the last time a team did that, it was Jay Cutler with the Dolphins. That was a flat-out disaster. Obviously, Carson Wentz is their quarterback. That's their guy. So it would be a, basically a month fix where a guy needs to start at quarterback. So maybe there's a cut during training camp or something where they pick that guy up and he's their starter because he's got some experience, but right now they are in a tough spot. They're in a very tough spot because they don't have a whole lot of options. And I'm interested to see where this goes. Cause this has become one of the more you know, intriguing training camp questions is what do the Colts do at quarterback? because Carson Wentz is out. They got, you know, Jonathan Taylor, they got good options, but they got a strong defense with Darius Leonard, one of the best middle linebackers in football, but you need a quarterback to win in the NFL. And, you know, Carson Wentz already had enough question marks and now you don't have him. So a lot of questions in Indianapolis who have big expectations this year to really make an impact. And we'll see what they, what they do to, to help that roster. Um, the NBA last week also took center stage. It was the 2021 NBA draft where Troy Pistons took Cade Cunningham first overall. Uh, he's now got the nickname Motorcade, which I think is great. Uh, I think you know he's played out of Oklahoma State. He's got a lot of good intangibles being compared to Grand Hill. Uh, Grant Hill was obviously a really good NBA player, not exactly a superstar, but a, a good NBA player. And then you had the Houston Rockets take Jalen Green. Cleveland Cavs took Evan Mobley out of USC, the big man number three. And the intrigue started with the Toronto Raptors, who it looked, you know, all you know, all points, you know, all, you know, whatever that stupid saying is, pointed to the Raptors taking Jalen Suggs out of Gonzaga. You know, really an elite guy who's got some scoring ability. You know, he's fun to watch. But they decided not to go with Jalen Suggs, not to go with conventional wisdom. And they took Scotty Barnes out of Florida State. And this guard is more of a prototypical point guard. He gets more assists. He's got a bigger body than Suggs. But one thing, his shot is not great, but we've seen the Raptors take guys like OG and Obi, Pascal Siakam, and they can nurture them and create and make them better shooters, make them better players. Kawhi Leonard was drafted, you know, uh, with the thought San Antonio knew that he wasn't a very good shooter, but now you look at him, he's a better than average uh, three-point shooter, great at the free throw line. And it's one of the biggest strengths of his game. So they're clearly banking on Scotty Barnes, developing into a better talent because right now on paper, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that, you know, they take him over Jalen Suggs. I think it's a mistake. I think Suggs is an elite guy. I think you're going to miss out on you know his potential. I would have taken Suggs. Orlando did with the next pick. So they clearly had him on the board. I think they're surprised that he was available. So they take him at number five. They really get a, a gift. And they had two picks in the top eight. Uh, Josh Giddy went to Oklahoma City six. Then you had Golden State take Jonathan Kaminga out of the G League. And Orlando took Franz Wagner out of Michigan. He's, his brother, uh, Morris Wagner, plays in the NBA already. He's bounced around, played for the Lakers, played for Washington, played for the Boston Celtics, now with the Chicago Bulls. But Franz is a guy that can sp- spread the floor. He can shoot the three. And he was on that great Michigan team last year. So he's a, he's a name that rings out, but the draft was really for, you know, overshadowed by a deal prior to the night starting where the Washington wizards traded Russell Westbrook to the Los Angeles Lakers in exchange for Kyle Kuzma, you know, former 21st overall pick Montrezl Harrell, uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope, and the 22nd pick in Thursday night's draft. So, This brings Westbrook onto a team with LeBron James, with Anthony Davis. So three players that basically make up their entire salary caps are going to have to find fringe players, play for league minimum, find the veterans exemption, go over the luxury tax because this team is cash strapped now, but they didn't have that third option last year. You know, LeBron was injured. Anthony Davis was out. They didn't have a guy to step up. They hope Kuzma could do it, but they've been so frustrated with him with his inconsistency that they were ready to part with him, and they ultimately did. Um, And for the Wizards, they make the playoffs, but they got Bradley Beal. Clearly, they didn't see Russell Westbrook as the guy to lead them into success, and they decided to part with him. But intrigue here is with the Lakers. You know, they still got LeBron, who's going to be 37. Uh, Anthony Davis is a great player, but he's injury prone. We'll see what he can do to kind of improve that next year. But I look at this team and say, who can shoot? LeBron's strength is not shooting the basketball Russell Westbrook's strength, even though he shoots a high volume is not, he's not a great shooter. He's a great driver of the basketball, but when it comes to shooting through even shooting a mid range jump shot, that's not a great skill of And Anthony Davis is the best shooter of the three, but that's not his low post game is what makes him so successful. So I look at this team and say, NBA teams are winning now with shooters. You know, Giannis Antetokounmpo wasn't the best shooter. But Chris Middleton is a great high-volume three-point shooter. Drew Holiday can knock down his threes. PJ Tucker is a good uh, guy that can make threes on that winning team, and you know even the Golden State model where everybody in that team could shoot. And driving to the basket is going to be, I think, the emph- emphasis of this team. But what if a team builds a wall and just says, "We're going to give you anything you want on the outside"? You know, LeBron will make shots. He's still LeBron James, but I don't see this making the Lakers. I've, you know, I've heard all oh, the Lakers are now the second biggest threat to the Nets. Well, I don't believe that's true. I think I still would put the Milwaukee Bucks ahead of them uh, because Milwaukee beat Brooklyn last year. Yes, Kyrie was out. Um, yes, James Harden was compromised. But you can't guarantee. There's nothing. There's no guarantee in sports. Injuries happen. And there's no you know, asterisks around a team that just because you like, well, this team should have won if this player wasn't injured. Well, it doesn't matter. Were you healthy when you got there? The Phoenix Suns, Milwaukee Bucks were healthy in the final. Milwaukee won. Doesn't matter that LeBron James wasn't there or Golden State or whoever else you think is better. Milwaukee won the championship. And I just I look at this team and say, well, injuries are not, they're not a big threat because they can't shoot the basketball. And that's the most important aspect of the game. Yeah, okay, great. You can rebound. Great. You can assist the basketball. But what else can you do? you need can you shoot for me and if the answer is well if you even pause a little bit it's such a scary position and i i worry for this team because i think lebron westbrook anthony davis who can shoot and we'll see what other teams do because free agency starts today uh where You know, the likes of Kyle Lowry's on the board. Does Ben Simmons ultimately get traded from the Philadelphia 76ers? So there's still a lot of things to happen here. Um, You know, where does DeMar DeRozan go? But we need to see what teams look like and kind of reassess and reevaluate. But, you know, having Russell Westbrook, having LeBron, having Anthony Davis, then, you know, potentially adding Carmelo Anthony, like it's been discussed, who's a bench player at this point, that doesn't scare me. I'm not, I'm not scared of the Lakers. If I'm out West, uh, if I'm Phoenix, who they hope they, I would rather have seen the Lakers add Chris Paul because is he a great three point shooter? No, but he can shoot. His mid range game is still on point. And I think he would have been a, he can give LeBron a break from the basketball, but you don't have to worry that he's going to fire up a really stupid shot. Westbrook does that a lot. And I don't know how that's going to gel with LeBron. LeBron is passive aggressive lebron is uh, at times confrontational so we'll see how that goes but definitely intrigued for sure to see where this team goes like i said free agency you can start talking with teams tonight at six o'clock so i'm sure those deals will will pile in soon after because as we know there's no league better at tampering than the national basketball association um to hockey briefly here before we wrap up the show Really, you yeah, there's a few signs. The Maple Leafs got active over the weekend. They signed Andre Kasha, formerly of Anaheim and Boston, to a one-year, $1.25 million contract. is another small forward, um, so that doesn't surprise me that the Leafs uh, liked him and had them on their board. But he does have some skill. Um, I think he's – looking at this team, he's a bottom six forward. So you hope that he can be – I'll give him this credit. I, I look at him and say he's a guy who can play on that third line and maybe he can add some offense. You know, he's a shooter. If it's makev and engval and whoever else they got uh on there, he's a guy that can score. You can't have a third line of Mikhaev, Engval, and throw anybody else out there that they have currently on their bottom six, Simmons potentially. You're not that line is never scoring a goal because like Engval and Mikhaev have no hands, and then you have Simmons who needs guys to distribute the offense for him. Kasha at least has some offensive fireplace, a little offensive upside. He has had some injury problems, but he is better than some of the other small forwards that they signed in the past. So good for Kyle Dubis for going out there, adding a player to the roster. I give him that credit. And he's a guy that can potentially augment their third line. So not a bad signing. They also had a Nick Ritchie, is a two-year deal worth 2.5 million a year. Um, Again, formerly of Anaheim and Boston. So they're going to, to the same tree here. Richie was not, uh, he was going to be a restricted free agent, but did not get tendered a qualifying offer from the Bruins. So they let him walk for nothing. Uh, and Richie is, when he's on, he's great. You know, I, I like a lot of his game. He's big, he's heavy. Uh, he's a guy that Toronto could use. I, I look at him and say, could he be a Zach Hyman type? He's different than Hyman because he's a little bit thicker. Um, he's not, he is a guy that will muck it up in the corners. He's not afraid to mix it up. I think he'll, I, you'll look at their roster right now, which again, it can change, but I think opening night, Richie is on a line with Matthews and Marner. And I think that will work because he can play to the net. He needs to go close to the goal line. He needs to get close to the puck, get rebounds. You know, when there's a rebound, go in the corner, get them the puck, give it back to them. He's a guy that will finish his checks. Um, and when he's playing well, he's great. When he's, when he's not, he's really slow and he looks out of place and you're kind of wondering why is this guy in the NHL? So it, it's hit or miss with, with Nick Ritchie, but I think he'll play with Matthews and Martin. The way, uh, way I look at their team right now, you can have Tavares, you can have Nylander on that second unit, um, who they play with is really uh up in the air at this point maybe kasha maybe maybe i'm wrong and they don't put caution that they're maybe they want kasha up with uh Tavares and nylander and have more of an offensive second line but you got richie you got i think he's a top six forward uh for this team at least you got enough of nick richie's on the bottom at uh, the bottom of the lineup i'd rather have richie than simmons on the top line uh Am I convinced that will happen? No, but I think he's a guy that he's not Zach Hyman, but he plays a similar style. And if you want me to, if you want him to, uh, you need him to buy in. You need him to get more fit for sure. Uh, and that that at least um. So if he can come in a camp fit and you know ready to play, I think that would be a big deal, uh, for for Toronto. And you got to hope that he can fill the void of Zach Hyman, at least do was some of the little things that he did so well. Um, Jack Eichel to finish off the podcast, Jack Eichel released a statement this weekend from his agent, basically saying that, you know, Jack is frustrated. He has been traded. He wants to have surgery. So he's ready for next season. Buffalo is not allowing him to do that because they feel he doesn't need it. And he wants to be traded right away because wherever he does get traded, he wants to be ready to play for, you know, by opening night. And this is a really cat and mouse here because it wouldn't shock me if Buffalo still has Jack Eichel come opening night because they want a haul for him. And clearly you see free is winding down here. There's only so much money to go around and he's got a $10 million cap hit that that's not easy to fit in, in, in a flat cap LA signed Philip Dunno. Vegas made moves to improve. They don't have a whole lot of cap room. Um, Anaheim is still there, but do they want to plunge for a guy like Jack Eichel, who's kind of been a nuisance in Buffalo? And I think there's a little, there's a couple of stop signs there that would make me worry about him long term. So I think this is a Cat Most. If he, if his medical team feels he needs surgery, that's his prerogative. But if Buffalos feel that he doesn't, well, I can't really blame them. And even if they did allow him to have surgery, say Buffalo did right now. He's not going to want to return to Buffalo. They've offloaded. Sam Reinhardt's gone. Rista Linen's gone. Linus Allmark is gone. That team is going to be terrible. You look at Buffalo and Arizona, they're competing to see who will be worse next year. They still have Darlene. Arizona still has Jacob Chikrin. Other than that, it's pretty freaking bare. So um, we'll see, but this will continue to be the big hockey story where I will see where this goes. But um, I'm, I'm excited to see where, where this goes down the stretch and if Jack Eichel ultimately gets moved this offseason. But, again, it wouldn't surprise me to see him in camp day one, likely not in the ice, but still property of the Buffalo Sabres. Um, hope everybody enjoyed the show today. We'll be back tomorrow with Seamus to talk um, some Breaking Bad. So I uh, hope you guys are ready for that. A couple of really good episodes to talk about tomorrow thinking about doing a round table at the end of the week. Uh, it's going to be about, I'm going to be doing a series of podcasts about NHL divisions so far and what, um, what teams have done well, what they haven't done well, what we think of every team and their progress and signings, departures, things of that nature. So that should be Friday with a, with a number of guests. So, uh, get ready for that one. I'll keep you guys posted as the week goes on, but as always, thank you guys for the support. Always appreciate leave your comments uh, about my Olympic takes or anything that was crazy that I said today. But uh, happy New Brunswick Day! Take care, and uh, we'll talk soon.